Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Antonio Neves, and this is episode 38 of the Best Thing Podcast. On this episode, I have a fabulous conversation with Catherine Minshew. She's the CEO and founder of The Muse. That's a career platform that's used by over 70 million people. And we have a fantastic conversation about a pivotal moment during her high school years that changed the trajectory of her life. You are going to love it. But before we get into that conversation, if there is anything specific you would love for me to talk about on The Best Thing, if there is a guest you have in mind, just go ahead and send me a text message at 310-564-7124. That link is right there in the show notes, so you can easily do that. And if you haven't already subscribed to The Best Thing, if you haven't written like a, a tour or three sentence review of The Best Thing, if you haven't shared this with a friend or a colleague or a family member, what are you waiting for? Share the love with The Best Thing. Okay. Hey, let's get into episode 38 of The Best Thing podcast with Catherine Minshew. Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where we talk to thought leaders, creatives, authors, and entrepreneurs about how sometimes the best thing to happen to you is the most unexpected. Welcome your host, Antonio Neves. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where I talk to people about the best thing to happen to them that doesn't include the traditional markers of success. I'm your host, Antonio Neves. I'm a speaker, author, and coach. And each week I bring on a new guest who has a powerful story to tell that will motivate, inspire, and help you see life through a new lens. This week's guest is someone I met a few years back when I was working with personal branding platform About.me, and I was blown away by her and her company. Catherine Minshew is the CEO and founder of The Muse, a career platform used by over 70 million people to find their best fit jobs, companies, and careers. The Muse was named one of Fast Company's 50 most innovative companies in the world. Catherine is the host of The Muse's podcast, The New Rules of Work. She has spoken at MIT and Harvard. She's contributed to the Wall Street Journal and the Harvard Business Review and appeared on Today and CNN. In addition, Catherine has won numerous awards and appeared on Inc.'s 30 Under 35, Marie Claire's The New Guard, and Female Founders 100. Catherine's book, The New Rules of Work, The Muse Playbook for Navigating Your Career, was a Wall Street Journal national bestseller. Catherine, welcome to The Best Thing. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here, and I'm just really blown away by you and your background. There's so many things in your bio that I didn't even mention. Maybe we'll talk about some of those things. I actually want to start with this question. As I looked at you and, and your background, one thing that stood out to me uh, specifically on your LinkedIn profile, you mentioned that you traveled to over 60 different countries. And I know you've worked abroad, et cetera. Tell me a little bit about what travel has brought to your life and, and who you are. Yeah, I, I love that question because I do think travel is really core to to who, you know, the person I am today. It's, it's one of my favorite things. Um, so first of all, I had never really left the United States until I was about 17 years old. 
um, with the exception of I had grandparents in El Paso, Texas, and we drove across the border once when I was little to, uh, you know, I think pass out sandwiches. But other than that, I, you know, all my family, when we traveled when I was little, it was, it was loading up into the family car and doing a road trip across, you know, another state. Um, but it was very domestic. And I think the first time I ever left the United States, it was just this beautiful, like almost mind blowing experience for me because, you know, obviously pretty trite to say, but realizing that so many different humans could live so many different varied lives that were so different from ours. Um, and in all of these ways, big and small, and I just became fascinated with how people live and how people live in different contexts and different cultures. And I wanted to see as much as possible. But not only that, you know, the world is changing. So you can go to a country and experience a slice of what life is like there. But if you go back in five years or 10 years, it's a different place. And there also became this urgency to travel because I wanted to go to places before they disappeared or they changed. I think there's a lot of benefits we've seen because of a more globalized, interconnected world, but it also means that some of the local differences and specificity that make places so unique um, is getting balanced out or washed away by the the McDonald'sification of the of the of the globe. Um, and I just I love dipping in and out of, of different places and um, it's something that I've I've prioritized. Even when I had no money, I would, you know, I would find just ridiculous ways to go on on these little backpacking trips and uh, so yeah, I think I think I'm up around 67 countries, um, really since 2004, um, and I uh, plan to to keep it up as long as I can. That's really impressive, and what blows me away. You made me think about when I studied abroad in college, and it was the first time I was abroad. I went to Spain, and my whole life changed. It just opened up so much in me. The, of course, the empathy for others, the confidence that I had in myself, et cetera. And I hope everyone, whether you're in college or not, you get the opportunity to just to travel and see another part of the world. And speaking of the word empathy, my hunch is with all the traveling that you've done globally, and I didn't mention this, but you've been to some challenging places as well where you're helping some communities as well. My hunch is your empathy level is just high. And, you know, in this day and age where we have so much going on due to the pandemic and people are dealing with remote work and flexible schedules, et cetera. Even prior to all of this, the muse was kind of ahead of the curve because you've always allowed, seems like flexible schedules. You've had like a baby at work policy at your office, things that seem new to people right now. But I'm curious if travel has created that type of empathy that has determined how you lead uh, in the workplace. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a really great way of putting it. And you know, I think the more that you become exposed to different types of people, whether in your own community or or abroad, the more you realize that there are a lot of different, you know, valuable, valid ways to live. And so I've always wanted to build a workplace at the Muse that enabled people to bring their whole selves to work, that allowed people to fit work and life together in the way that worked best for them. Because, you know, many of us, our jobs don't actually need us to be at our desks from 9.01 a.m. to, you know, 5 or 6 p.m. You can build flexibility into the modern workplace. And so it was important to me that we not only do that at the Muse, but that we encourage other companies to do that as well. And the baby at work policy is actually one of the things I'm proudest about because we've now had a lot of parents just bring their infants in. Um, and, you know, we offer a parental leave policy for all employees, but even after that's done, 
a lot of parents have decided, you know, that they're not quite ready to put that little baby in daycare or with a nanny. And so, you know, we had an engineer who spent months, I think, four through six of her son's life with him strapped to her chest while she coded at her desk. We've had babies in, you know, executive team meetings uh, in the office. And and it just, I think it was really powerful. And, you know, yeah, every now and then you're interviewing a candidate and there's a baby crying in the background and they're like, is that a baby? And I just find actually that I think people are so hungry for that kind of authentic, welcoming workplace that it's never been anything but uh, a positive for us to have, you know, to, to have, young kids in the office. Yeah, we've always had to bifurcate the two and, you know, really work and life pretty really are the same thing, especially if we're going to spend so much time in the office. So I really appreciate you allowing that in your workplace. And shout out to the Muse. I mean, over 70 million people. And if you Google my name, by the way, me and the Muse comes up super, super high because I've been fortunate enough to write articles for the outlet. And also uh, I've done some coaching on there as well. So if you haven't visited the Muse, make sure you go there. We'll have a link in the show notes and just an amazing platform all across the board. Uh, Before we get into the question of the best thing, I want to talk to you about something you did early in your career. You were a management consultant um, (laughs) with McKinsey and company. And, you know, it's wild. And you know this, when you look at the press nowadays, if you hear that anyone was a management consultant, it's like they were a devil or something like that. It's as if you you hear the word, they worked at McKinsey or they worked at Bain. It's as if they did something wrong. And I know that's not the case whatsoever. So I'm just curious for you, what were some of your key takeaways uh, during your your management consulting career that have stuck with you to today? Yeah. So I'll I'll give a headline that um, I learned more from that job than I think I could have learned from anything else I did in my early 20s, but I didn't particularly enjoy it. And that's always an interesting uh, conundrum because, you know, I look back and I would have said yes to that offer over again. I, I would do it over again if I were replaying my life and my career, but it wasn't the most pleasant years of my life, <laughs> to, to put it mildly. So, you know, in terms of what I learned, part of why I said yes to the job offer was that I think management consulting can function as a kind of business boot camp. You drop into so many different companies and contexts and problems, and you have to get up to speed on what the issue is, what are the main players, what are the main components, how should you think about you know, helping to solve it. And it really teaches you a ton in a very short amount of time about business, um, about uh, you know supply and demand, and also about how work gets done in organizations. And one of the things that gives consultants a, a bad name sometimes, but I think actually was really interesting about working there, is sometimes the answer to the problem already lives within a company, but that company's internal communication, bureaucracy, and systems are preventing the solution from being surfaced. So it's a joke about consultants. You know, they'll grab your they'll grab your wrist and tell you the time from your own watch. And um, you know, and and I've seen I've seen cases where where it feels like that's more versus less apt. But I will also say I've seen cases where even though the answers existed within the organization, management wasn't listening or they didn't have the right channels for those to surface. Um, I also found you know the most interesting project that I did was during 2009. And the entire world was falling apart. It was the depths of the Great Recession. Um, and we worked for a financial institution where, you know, without getting into too many of the details, um, they had been operating in one way for 30 years. And all of a sudden, the world had changed. And the entire team and the entire organization was trying to figure out how to re, you know, how to, how to reboot their work and, and 
how to navigate this new normal of 2009. And that was actually, that was a really fun and interesting project because there were six of us that came in from the outside. We each were tagged to a different part of the business. And it was one part deep listening tour, one part throwing out crazy ideas. But sometimes the ideas from an outsider can can be really valuable because the context in which you're operating has changed. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think it was just a totally fascinating time um, to be able to, to work alongside people with deep, deep, deep functional knowledge of how things have been and kind of together co-create what things might look like. Um, but that said, you know, I think um, there's also a, a lot of challenges in any organization where you work for clients, there can be a real temp, you know, a, a temptation to do what the clients want. And so I think it's important for these organizations to have really strong internal value systems. And as we've seen, you know, in the news stories, some parts of the organization, some organizations are better at that than than others. I really love what you said. And I'm going to think I'm gonna get this quote right. I learned a lot, but I didn't enjoy it. And what a beautiful reminder for people right now who are listening, who may be in a position that they don't necessarily enjoy, but I think they forget from a mindset perspective what they can get out of it. I like to tell young people, particularly if they know they're going to change jobs eventually, right now, while you're in this job, find what to take, whether that's training, whether that's relationships, experience, et cetera, find what to take and you'll find that you approach that job so much differently. So I'm glad that you pointed that out. But also something interesting you said, Catherine, is about, you know, sometimes the answers were within the organization. Me as a coach, when I work with men and women, when I work with organizations, like you said, 100% of the time, the answer is there. They just haven't been asked the, the right question. And what an empowering thing it is to bring that out of them. So, so thank you for sharing that. Let's dig into this question now. Let's pivot over to the best thing. So I'm curious for you, you've lived such a dynamic life and there's so much we haven't talked about. And I hope to have you on again so we can go deeper into some of your experiences. But I'm curious for you, in this life that you've lived, those 67 plus countries and the various uh, companies you've worked for and you founded, what's one of the, the quote unquote best things that happened to you that wouldn't necessarily appear on a resume or bio that has had an effect, an impact on who you are today? It's such a great, it's such a great question. And, you know, the thing that comes to mind um, is actually something that happened to me a long time ago um, when I was in high school. And it's not a story I get to tell very frequently, um, but uh, but I, um, you know, I, I was really big into theater and drama when I was a, a kid and a teenager, and nothing really meant more to me in high school than my high school drama team uh, and, and drama club. And my junior year, my third year of high school, I was a bit part in the school play and one day our director walked in and said the lead can't perform it was the the last show of the run uh, it was the last show of the year as well so for all of the seniors this was the last performance of their high school career and uh it's 90 minutes before showtime you know we're all a lot of times high school drama groups kind of function like cults so we had all these like pre-show preparations and and act you know and and sort of rituals that we're deeply engaged in getting ready to perform and the director of the show uh our high school faculty member comes in and she's crying and she's like the show's off it's canceled we can't perform the lead of the school play um had skipped calculus class that week and <laughs> the administration forbade her from doing extracurriculars and from going on in the show. And everyone starts freaking out and every, you know, everything's in an uproar. And my friend just stands up in front of everyone. She's like, Catherine can do it. Catherine can do the part. And it was this insane moment where sort of time slows down and, and your vision narrows. 
And it was terrifying because I actually didn't know that part. There was a sort of secondary lead in the school play and I had learned that character's lines. I did not know. I mean, I, I, yeah, I had this tiny little part in the third act and all of a sudden everybody's staring at me like, can you go on? And it was 90 minutes till curtain. Um, and I said, yes. Um, I said, yes, I'll, I'll do it. And, you know, it just felt like this do or die moment where somebody had to go on and play that part. Otherwise, the whole show, all of the work, everything we had done would be lost. And, you know, I didn't even really think I just said yes. And the next 90 minutes were this terrifying blur. I was reading the script. I actually didn't even bother with the third act because that was after intermission, which was only, by the way, 15 minutes of intermission. But I was like, I can worry about that later. I was just reading through the first two acts, trying to memorize the lines. Um, You know, people were putting makeup on me. Somebody put pantyhose on me. All right. If you've never had somebody put pantyhose on you, well, (laughs) that's a very intimate experience. But it was like the whole group came together to try and get me and us through this because we wanted so badly to do the performance. Um, and, and I don't, you know, want to, <laughs> it just, it, it was a tremendous success. It was, you know, it was like something out of a movie, honestly, just being able to, to go on. And, um, and, and, and by the way, I mean, it was really a team effort, right? When you have a cast member on stage who definitely does not know all of the lines, but broadly knows what needs to happen. And, you know, I, I was quick enough on my feet um, that I was able to sort of roll with it. It's really a team effort. You know, as a cast, what are the notes you have to hit, the big things you need to happen. And we just got ourselves there. And at the end of the night, there was a standing ovation. Everybody was crying. Uh, I fell over. Uh, but it was it was really... Um, it was a really incredible and powerful experience. And I think also, you know, it gave me a lot of confidence that I could do hard things. Um, And, you know, by the way, it wasn't like it was a flawless performance. There were times during the show where uh, I was like, oh my good, I, I have no idea what comes next. But I think that it was, you know, that experience of stepping into the void and trusting that between your own wits and the people around you that you were going to get to the bottom safely at, uh, and also at the end of the day, you know, it was better than canceling the show. And I also had the thought that even if I, you know, even if I kind of, up, um, that's probably better than just, than just not even trying as a group. So that's what comes to mind. And it was, yeah, it was, it was a really powerful experience. Listening to you talk. I mean, People can't see the way I can see you right now, but I can tell this is one of those moments that you came alive, like, because you were in it. And as you even recount the story, I can see the emotions coming back to you to being in that moment, how pivotal and how how powerful this was. Um, You said something really profound. You said somebody had to go on. Why not me? Why not me? What a powerful statement that we can say in this day and age. Why not me? Especially when we tend to so many people we we look for others to step up. We want to point our finger outward as opposed to pointing the finger at ourselves and saying, why not me? At that age as a junior, have you always been that person? Why not me? Or was this that moment, like you said, it built confidence or was this a pivotal moment that it kind of uh, put the spotlight on you and you, you saw what you were kind of made of in the moment? <laughs> you know, I, I think it was a maybe a little bit of both in that um, there have been a few times in my life where I had that why not me. 
And I think it's something um, that I really appreciated that, that my parents would ask from time to time. You know, when I was uh, 13, I wanted to be in more plays. Theater was, again, big, big theme in my childhood. And uh, and one day I thought, well, you know, what if we put on plays for senior citizens or kids at the public library or, you know, uh, inner city D.C. or different places? And and, you know, there was a little bit of, well, maybe I could do that. In fact, when I started the Muse all those years later, um, you know, people sometimes ask, like, why did you take this crazy leap? And part of it was that as a job seeker, I kept seeing these problems and these just ridiculous inefficiencies in the job search space. And I kept thinking like someone should make something better than this. Someone should build a better job search or career platform. And eventually it's like, well, maybe I should stop complaining and maybe I should just do it. Um, But, you know, I, I think that that moment in high school was both born out of a foundation of, you know, if, if not you, then who, if not now, then when, and it was a moment where I gained more confidence in my ability to do that because I wasn't always the most confident child. You know, I, I had just like a lot of people, situations of being excluded or bullied or feeling deeply, deeply, deeply uncool. Um, but it allowed me to realize that, that I was capable of quite a lot. Um, and that I was also capable of, you know, staring into the abyss of at that point, you know, being embarrassed in front of your friends in high school feels like the the absolute worst thing in the world. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and taking on a really scary challenge and coming out the other side. And you were in it, you were alive. I think what a lot of people are missing in their lives right now, I'm not saying you have to go uh, 90 minutes between a show and do a part you're not familiar with, but people are missing being alive. They're missing what it feels like to be bold. They're missing what it feels like to be courageous. And that may be stepping into a play 90 minutes before, it may be put, hitting send on an email or publish on a blog post to feel that, to feel alive. And just a quick coaching moment, we have these every now and then on the podcast. And that's this, why not you? If you are complaining about something right now, if there is a decision that needs to be made that you're not making, I just want to empower you to say, why not you? The opportunity is there. Uh, Catherine, to pick up on that, what I loved about that story, of course, I love the success. And like you said, it wasn't perfect, but you did it. Um, but what I love about that story is your friend, that hero, that advocate you had that spoke up for you and said, Catherine can do it. Can we just give a, a high five just to those people in our lives who are encouragers? Many times these are coaches. These are the men and women that sometimes we don't, they don't get as much credit as I think they should. So can, I'm curious, just even that moment, that person saying Catherine can do it. One, I'm sure that instilled confidence in you right then and there. But have you regularly found those people in your life? My hunch is you've also probably been that person for others saying you can do it. Absolutely. I think that's such a powerful role to play because sometimes, you know, if sometimes people can, their their own confidence can be drowned out by those voices inside their head that say, be quiet, sit down, don't put yourself out there. It's too much of a risk. You know, what if you fail? And having someone else that believes in you say, I think you can do this. I, you know, I, I think you can step up. Um, it's incredibly powerful. And frankly, it also gives people a little bit more latitude to put themselves out there because I'm not sure if the silence had continued. I don't know if I would have raised my hand and said, I can do it. I mean, at some point, maybe, but I was just still stuck in this, oh my gosh, are we going to cancel the show? You know, this is terrible. What's happening? And it was like I needed her to cut through all the BS and to say, you can do it. 
And that was, I mean, I, I remember that moment in such clarity. Um, it was, it was really the, the push and the encouragement that I needed. Shout out to that person that says you can do it. If you haven't given that person a thank you or a high five or an email, do that right now. You made me think back to my my brief uh, performing career, at least on stages, was, well, I guess acting. My sixth grade teacher, Mrs. Hirschman, cast me as the lead in the sixth grade play, The Nutcracker, at Hunt Elementary School in Jackson, Michigan. And I didn't want to do it. But her believing in me, literally, this is a whole other story, changed the trajectory of my life because it taught me to believe in myself. So the power of belief is, is important. Uh, just a few more questions for you. This is so much fun for me. I'm like just giggling over here, getting hyped up, about to give a sermon because you got me fired up. Um, this is a reminder, I'm from, from a career perspective, I'd love to hear your, your, your point of view on this. And as you were talking about that person who missed calculus class, I wonder what happened to their life, uh, what they're doing right now. Um, that's a whole other story. Uh, that's how dark my mind gets. I wonder what they're doing. They, met, they missed that opportunity. Um, is this all it takes is someone being out sick one day for your opportunity to present itself. I don't know how many people forget that. All it takes is someone missing calculus class, someone being out sick, someone leaving the job, someone whatever for your opportunity present to present itself. I'm curious how much in your life has that been the case where an opportunity presented itself because of there was a void just like in this situation or even is it something that I'm sure you remind you, you and your staff remind job seekers out there who may be a little bit discouraged right now? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that you brought that up because so many of the best things in my life have happened because I was willing to say yes. And by the way, yes doesn't mean it's going to work out. I would say there's just as many things I've said yes to that didn't succeed that ended up not being a good use of time. But I've been willing to take that chance and to show up. And I think that speaks to a few things. One, I think that if um, you know planning is great and it's very important, but if you're so stuck to your plan that you can't see the opportunity on the side or you know that the chance to maybe deviate a little from where you thought you were going to get to somewhere else that is meaningful to you, I think you can miss a lot of a lot of opportunities. Um, I also just a, yeah, I'm a big believer in being someone that colleagues, teams, people know they can count on. Because when you are willing to, like you said, to, to step up when someone's out, to, to save, you know, to, to step in when something goes sideways, that can be a, a great opportunity to test out new skills. It's also sometimes low pressure, right? Um, I'll give you another quick theater story, which is I did a play the following year where uh, the costume designer had to bail two weeks before the show um, and hadn't really put together any costumes. And we had this tiny budget and it was only two weeks left. And it was like a perfect opportunity to try costume design because frankly, if I fell on my face, guess what? You know, like there was just, we were already in a pretty messed up situation. It kind of, it, it allows, I think, for an experimentation and a, hey, all right, someone's got to do it doesn't have to be perfect. Let's dive in. Let's figure this out. I mean, I had costumes that were held together with safety pins and duct tape, but they looked good from the audience. That's all that matters. Um, and I, you know, and it was a fun way of just saying, what do I have to lose? Except being a little bit embarrassed, but embarrassment is not going to kill you. And in fact, on the other side of embarrassment are some of the best opportunities and the best experiences I've ever had. So it's, it's something that I think is yeah absolutely part of the advice that the muse gives job seekers, that navigating your career is hard. 
interviewing is hard, getting promoted, at, you know, negotiating for a raise, all of these major workplace events are really hard. They can be scary and that's okay. It's okay to be intimidated, but sometimes you've got to know when to push through the fear and say, yes, try the new skill, take that opportunity. Um, and, you know, and, and again, it, it doesn't always work out. So you also have to be kind to yourself when it doesn't go the way that you expected. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't try again. I always, um, I've always focused on what I learned from everything, the good, the bad, and, <laughs> and the ugly. What a great reminder that embarrassment is not going to kill you and that it doesn't have to be perfect. That just right there, those two things, it creates freedom. Well, I think that's a beautiful place to end. And I think for me, the, the key takeaway is why not you? Why not me? Why not us? And just to push through that fear, as you so beautifully said. Catherine, I can't thank you enough for spending time on this uh, podcast with me in the show notes. We're going to have a link to all of your amazing things you do from your book to the podcast to the muse. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to the Best Thing Podcast with Antonio Neves. Join us next week for more stories that'll help you see the world through a new lens. For more resources, go to theantonioneves.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share with a friend and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.